Hey, y'all, this is Jeremy Stump with Cardinal Financial. And if you want to learn more about entrepreneurship and business, then you should be listening to Breaking Business Barriers with my good friends Brent, Joseph, and Brandon. Welcome to Breaking Business Barriers, where we believe that choosing to go all in is the only way to create true freedom in your business and life. Now join your hosts, Brent Duhame, Dr. Joseph K., and Brandon Straza, as they talk to industry leaders, veteran CEOs, and cutting-edge entrepreneurs about the tough decisions they made on their way to success. This is Breaking Business Barriers. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Business Barriers. I am your co-host, Brandon Straza, the Real Naked Agent, along with... Dr. Joseph K. And... Brand and today we've got a good friend of ours, Jeremy Stump. And and Jeremy, tell us, hey, what what part of the country are you in right now? I'm in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And you are the VP market leader at Cardinal Financial. And if someone wants to find you on social media, where can they find you? Um, you know, for all the for all the PG public consumption stuff, no, I'm just kidding. It's all that way. Uh, Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Jeremy Paul Stump or uh, Instagram. I've got, uh, I use that quite a bit these days as, uh, as the kids are making it more popular. And that's uh, Stump the Mortgage Guru. So at Stump the Mortgage Guru. All right, great. Well, I am I'm DM him with questions as he has a fascinating story from the mortgage industry to military. And I don't know what exactly we're going to hear today, but I'm really excited about what you're going to bring to the table. Real quick, Jeremy, let's start out with kind of a fun, whimsical story so people can get to know you and relate to you a little bit more. Like, Give us that 60-second story that uh, might be even a little embarrassing. Wow. Okay. Embarrassing. All right. Well, when I was in the military, I was a Russian linguist. So I did a lot of, uh, did a lot of uh, work in Eastern Europe and was, uh, spent a lot of time in Russia. So we were over in uh, St. Petersburg for a while. And if you think about Russia, communist Russia, basically they built all the cities, so the blocks, the buildings, everything looked the same. So a few buddies and I, we were out in St. Petersburg for a good while. And, you know, we we're there for about six weeks, you know, partying like rock stars, like, you know, like 20 year old, uh, Jack wagon enlisted military guys do. And we thought we were pretty special to be there. So took full advantage of it. And then, uh, we got shipped to Moscow. And so we're in Moscow and get pretty hammered in the bar and kind of forget what city we're in and tell the cab driver where to take us street names and all that stuff. Walk up to a pretty familiar looking building, go upstairs, you know, get up there and start pounding on the door. Uh, can't, our keys, keys don't work. Can't get in. Pound on the door for a bit more, thinking one of the other guys will be there. One of the guys out with us, and uh, Russian guy answers the door, butt ass naked. <laughs> About the hairiest dude I've ever seen. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I've seen some hairy dudes. <laughs> but yeah, and so this guy, this guy answers the door, and in, in Russian, he looks at us, puzzled as hell, probably about half as drunk as we were. And uh, we're like, what's going on? What are you doing in our room? You know, <laughs> he's like, and he's asked us, he's like, what city do you think you're in? <laughs> Immediately knew. We're in St. Petersburg. He's like, no, you're in Moscow. <laughs> in Moscow, this is not a hotel. This is an apartment building. Son of a. So, oh, yeah. so, yeah. so now we get back down to the street and there's no cab course because it's residential so there's no cabs nobody around so we're basically just stumbling drunk around moscow till we on a cab make our way back to our hotel and now it's like five hours later 
just just in time for an official breakfast where I'm interpreting. Oh. <laughs> I'm falling asleep into a glass of vodka like this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, life's gotten considerably less interesting since. Yeah, well, you know, probably safer uh, being over here in the states. But that's that's a good one. I really appreciate that. Give yeah. us kind of your background, what you're doing, what you've been up to, and uh, kind of go from there if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Just uh, more recent stuff. Anything? Shoot. Sure. Uh, so yeah, more more recently, we're uh, you know we're, we're building out our building out our mortgage company and just. Uh, you know, we're kind of a franchise of this company, basically. So we have a few offices of it and just um, you know, recruiting quality people and kind of following, um, I don't know, if you've heard that book, Blue Ocean Strategy or heard of it, kind of following that strategy a bit, you know, trying to get out of that race to the bottom for price because, you know, I think everyone's looking at, uh, I think the projection's like a 30% dip across the real estate industry for next year. So trying to stay out in front of that and just make sure that we're uh, doing good quality business focused on that, uh, focused on building good people. Um, so I mean, it sounds super uninteresting, but um, the, the details of it, get they do get pretty interesting and it's more fun to build it that way instead of uh, being the, the one trick pony, everyone's focused on price. So I feel like everybody else is out here competing for price and we're over here looking for quality originations with good people and customers we can come back to and and take care of who are just more focused on value than anything else and trying to trying to preach that, you know, I hope I can pull my cord up, that there's more to value than price and, and uh, making sure that we walk that talk every day. So it's kind of what we're doing. And uh, we're, we're also kind of diversifying into some other things that are some other franchises completely outside of the mortgage realm and uh, maybe get into that later. But yeah, but uh, so I've been in mortgage now for, this is my 19th year. Wow, wow. Uh, just a little bit longer Dude. than LeBron James with uh, with basketball. So you're looking to decommoditize a, a very commoditized industry by the value method. We really are. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because I see every day. I see I see mortgage people that are you know they're posting about our, our rates this today, our rates that today. You know, refi, refi, refi. And uh, I I spend more time coaching my people on how to talk people out of refinancing than mm -hmm. I do else. I mean, there, there's so many mortgage people out there that'll say, oh man, you could save 50 bucks a month and skip a payment. And, then, you, know, and you get somebody that, you know, they're, they're emotionally compromised, maybe going through a tough time. And so they're, they're going to, they're going to sink their teeth into that. You know, Hey, you know what I could, I could use an extra 50 bucks a month, but really on what, what are you going to do with 50 bucks? Seriously, drive less, ride your freaking bike to work twice a week, you know, do something responsible. Don't refinance, spend five grand to save 50 bucks a month and start over in your mortgage, you know, I mean, just this doesn't make any sense. So trying to, trying to help people make better business decisions uh, and look at their, look at their real estate investment, even their primary residence is more of an investment and a tool um, that they should really use sparingly and not keep you know, churning and recycling mortgages over and over again. So um, focus, focus on the purchase side mm -hmm. and, and the investment side of things and only refinancing when it just makes really, really good sense and you know their plan to really look at someone's, uh, what their goals are for the next five, 10, you know, 10 years and so on. And not just, you know, trying to get some temporary payment relief in the next six months. So stay away from staying away from the turn and burn them uh, mentality oh, yeah. that it's pretty, pretty thick in that industry. Yeah, it really is. I mean, this, this business is, uh, it's, it's gotten a bad reputation and we're really, really trying to steer it away from that and steer it toward, like I said, quality people, taking care of people and making sure that our reputation is for that. You know, if you're going to do business with us, it's because we're going to give you a consistent product that you can count on. And there's, there's not going to be a, a single line of bullshit spilled in your direction. 
Is that the blue ocean in which you're swimming? Is that the is that the mindset there that you're going to provide something and compete in an arena that that other lenders maybe aren't competing in? And, that, and that's exactly it. I mean, it seems like everybody's trying to compete on price. I don't say everybody. There, there are lots of really good mortgage professionals out there, and some people I've, you know, I've learned a lot from and that I trust and count on. But, um, but I'd say the majority of the industry right now is really focused on price, and that's their message. Did you, and maybe this, and you can decline to answer this, of course, but did you always feel that way? You've been in the mortgage industry for 19 years. I'm kind of a layperson in the mortgage industry. Brent is obviously our, our expert in brand and knows a great deal about it. But um, from a layperson's perspective, I'm curious, did you walk into the mortgage industry, I guess it'd be around the year 2000, thinking, uh, this is my this is my thing. I'm going to go with this. Or did something happen along the way that that made you reprioritize this as as a goal? You know, I I think I I did it um, I did it more intuitively to begin with. I think when I first started in mortgage, I I didn't know there was a T in the word, right? So um, I I came in fresh out of the military. I was hurt pretty bad in a, in a pretty bad accident in Kosovo, so I I uh, couldn't walk. Uh, so I couldn't continue on what I was doing in the military. So I kind of stumbled into the mortgage business. A buddy of mine, his dad owns a mortgage company, still does actually. And uh, they brought me on, gave me a shot, you know, uh, put me through a quick, uh, I think it was a two-week training program, which is probably more than most people get nowadays, I should say. <laughs> I mean, really, let up. But they put us through a pretty intense training, and it was a lot of uh, it was a lot of kind of the opposite of what we try to teach people now. They really, really focused on refi business. And uh, I, I mean, in my opinion, they they uh, they were trying to get as many uh, one-time customers as they could. Basically, you know, they, they would really pride themselves on, hey, and I'm probably probably gonna upset some people when I say this, but you know, how much can you charge on a single transaction? That was kind of your best honor, and you know, what what could you get away with charging people? And uh, I really didn't feel good about it, and you know, all the fulfillment I got from my job in the military, I mean, I really really loved it. I, I would have stayed in forever, honestly. Um, I didn't feel that when I first came in. So about six months in, I actually quit the mortgage business. Like, I'm not, I can't do this. People come to me with a good faith estimate. It's not, they don't use that anymore, but to form showing all your fees and charges and rates. And someone would tell me, Hey, I got this quote from someone else. And I'd bring it to my manager and my manager would say, they're full of shit. Stop, learn to sell. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm a weak salesperson. So I go back and tell them like, no way, man, that's not true. This is, this is BS. They're never going to close you on that. And then they close it and I, they bring it back to me. Hey, I closed at this and, uh, a liar out of me and I really didn't like that feeling very much. So I, I left the mortgage business. I took a contracting job in Israel for a year, uh, worked over there uh, with IDF. And about, about six months into that, I realized, and it was a one-year commitment, I realized that I didn't like getting shot at anymore and I liked coming home to my kids. So um, I, all the, those years of badassery were behind me and, and uh, I just didn't have that desire to participate in that anymore. So I decided I was going to spend the next few months while I was over there really focus on what I would be doing when I got back. And so I really thought about a lot of the stories about uh, people that we really did manage to help, even if we charged them too much, you know, how much did we help them? Um, and, and there were some good stories, you know, I mean, the, the, the few purchase transactions we did, I mean, they were, they were a great comfort to people to be, uh, to be a homeowner. And so I started studying up on, you know, what a lot of the benefits of homeownership were outside of the refinance realm. So just getting into a home, you know, uh, graduation rates, post-secondary education, average net worth of a homeowner versus a renter. So I started finding all these things, convinced myself of the value of what I was doing for a living. And uh, I, told, I told myself I would come back, I'd come back to that job and I'd come into it with a different, uh, 
a different attitude. And instead of focusing on refi, go out and focus on that uh, purchase business. Or there's more emotion and I could get myself wrapped up in it with people. And, um, for good, um, I managed to get myself uh, pretty high into the, the purchase market and that's kind of where I've stayed. So there's value in refinance business. I don't want to say there is. There's value to people, but uh, for me, the, the value was in that purchase, that getting people into a home and seeing that satisfaction, um, that, that change in their lifestyle and coaching people toward that and getting them there. And uh, that, that meant a lot to me. And so I, you know, being able to find value and to say convinced is convincing, right? So I think it made me a better salesperson, even though I didn't know that's what I was doing. Cool. You know, Jeremy, what is it? Uh, 64% of America you know, aspires or owns a home. And I think that's a lot to be said. And, and it's a big, it's a big time transaction for anyone. I don't care how much money you have or you don't have. So uh, you, you've dedicated your life, you know, over the, over the last 10 plus years to being a mortgage banking professional. And that's a very consultative approach, which makes you head and shoulders above most, by the way. And despite or in spite of how you how you learned, but let's let's, let's turn the page on you know you, can, I, you know number one you're a military veteran and, and let's all salute you know you and, I have to out to return one. Well, thank you. And I, you know I never served, but you know I as I've always told you, if I can I can help you anyway. I feel like I've served in some way. And or any other veteran that I see where the cap, whatever the case might be, I just, you know, God bless America. Right. And you're Absolutely, you're, you're flag wearing, proud American, and that that's fantastic. But but I've got two questions for you. So um, one, and it leads into the other, is uh, you, you lead a group of people today. And what's your leadership style? And Perhaps you've already mentioned a book, but perhaps maybe there's a mentor uh, over the years could be all the way to your parents or whatever the case could be an instructor, teacher um, that influenced your life to where you are today and why you are the leader that you are today. I happen to know you sure. and we're, 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 we're friends and above and beyond that, I can call you for advice. Um, give us a little take on that. That's flattering to me. It really is. Um, you know, I, I came to this business and I, I think I was flying pretty blindly, um, you know, learning to kind of feeling my way through it and trying to find value in it just to, to find fulfillment in it for myself. Um, and then actually it was, uh, when I was back when I was still working under you, Brent, um, you guys actually had us go in and um, we were going to have this presenter come in, Renee Rodriguez. I don't, I'm sure you remember and uh, it was the first time I'd actually taken a, a sales class at all on anything. It was just, you know, sales related. And uh, Renee really took it from being something that you do just by natural skill and hustle to helping people recognize value that they had that was previously unseen. You know, so differentiating yourself from basically a vending machine to being a professional salesperson, and uh, and not and not looking at sales as a dirty word. I mean, so many. So many people look at salespeople and they, they want to slam the door in their face and things like that. But if, if you come to someone, number one, convinced of your product, knowing that what you're, what you're coming to them to sell is the right answer for them, 
And so you're convinced of that. So again, back to that convinced is convincing and being systematic about it, understanding what your value presentation is before you go in, um, having a goal for any sales activity and recognizing what actually uh, constitutes a sales activity. Um, th those, were, those were absolutely life-changing for me uh, when it came to my sales career. That was really when I started um, looking at things professionally. And you guys actually introduced me to the concept of a CRM, which is funny to think that I didn't have one before, but um, I mean, for the first, um, I don't know, probably eight years I was in the mortgage business, I didn't use a CRM. I had a notebook full of people every, uh, I mean, talk about a mess, a notebook full of names and, and rough dates and types of, you know, types of loans. And I would try to call everybody and touch them all once a year. And once that number got into the thousands, it got really hard uh, to be systematic about it. Not to mention like the, <laughs> that they were falling out of the notebook and I was putting those little tabs that you put down on the paper to, to put them back in, you know, so, you know, the little circle tab with the hole in it. So you put it back into your three ring binder. Pretty soon my three ring binder is like a six inch one uh, full of compliance violations. I'm uh, just kidding. Man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but, <laughs> I'm teasing. But, you know what? Isn't it amazing though? I, I don't care if it's mortgage banking or if we're selling nuts and bolts or if we're a doctor, a surgeon, whatever the case might be, keep it in contact with your with your clients, your patients, whatever it is. I mean, it just separates, you know, the, the shaft, right? So you got 90% of the people that get flooded out and but you got the top ten for whatever reason, the top ten percent always do the same thing. They're, they're staying in touch with their clients, their patients, again, whatever it is. And, and that was a revelation for you, right? It was. And, and uh, you know, I kind of took it further. I've actually done a lot of work with Renee uh, since then. I mean, he and I have become very, very close friends. So we've, we've taught some things together and, and I've helped him develop some other groups. And uh, we kind of come, we've come up with all these funny little sayings. But one of them is that um, if, you ever, if you ever have to get back to basics, you're in trouble. Because, you know, top producers, um, you know, top business people, business professionals never, ever abandon the basics. And that staying in touch with your client base, you know, making sure that you stay top of mind with them and teaching the people who work for you to do that, um, th those are the basics. And if you ever get away from that, you're in trouble. Uh, because the second you're not top of mind with your client, they're calling someone else or someone calling them. I mean, especially in, in the industry that I'm in, I mean, you, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a mortgage company. I mean, it's just a true story. I mean, if I were to just close my eyes and spin three times and throw a rock in Colorado Springs, I'd break the window of a mortgage company, no doubt. Well, it's amazing. I, I was just thinking all, everything you've already put out there, um, you know, from the basics to, to where your story was, Moscow and we sit kind of, let's, let's maybe rewind a little bit and talk about that fork in the road. Uh, whether it was in your business career, personal career, maybe a little of both. Can you kind of rewind on that for us? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, I think my, the biggest fork in the road, obviously that, you know, getting some actual training was a huge part of it. Uh, approaching your business as a business and not looking at it as a job and just, you know, showing up and, and re really recognizing that your input is going to determine your output. Um, but kind of the biggest, the biggest change that happened kind of happened by accident. I mean, it, anyone who knows me, BD knows a lot about my story, Brandon, you'll know some, but a uh, little less. And uh, Joseph, you, you'll know nothing, but, um, but it's, uh, I mean, just of, of my story, I mean, I was raised in a pretty, a pretty rough area. I mean, San Bernardino, California, my parents were involved in some pretty bad stuff. I mean, 
uh, a lot of drug dealing and drug using. And so our house was a revolving door of, uh, of some pretty trashy people in and out, uh, you know, gang infested area, uh, trying to fit in and trying to be a tough guy. And, and what, what happens, you, you live that way for a long time is you really lose yourself. You know, I think the, the self you were intended to be, you know, you become a little disconnected. And, um, you know, even before the military, you know, the, the, the military side of it, seeing a lot of things that you can't unsee. I saw a lot of that stuff in my formative years, right, as a child. So I didn't realize it, but, I, you know, I had, uh, I had developed a, you know, pretty dissociative type of personality. And mm. so I, I didn't know that. I really didn't. Like, there's things that are just absolutely tragic I thought were hilarious. And, you know, like, I, I was uh, living, my, living my whole life in a very narrow emotional range. So my ability to connect to people is pretty limited. And I, I didn't realize how short tempered I was and how much that was affecting my relationships. And, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'll just kind of, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll get pretty personal, but I got into a, I got into a bar fight about, about seven years ago. Um, didn't, you know, I mean, this, this was normal behavior for me to be quite honest with you, go out and, you know, get, get too drunk. Cause that's just who I am, right? Like you have to accept me for who I am and who I am is this guy that, you know, a smart drink day. I do what I'm supposed to eight to 12 hours and then go out and do whatever the hell I want. Right. And if you don't, then, you know, GFY. Right. So I, uh, I live that, I live my life that way and didn't recognize that that was a problem until it became one. So I uh, got, got myself into some legal trouble, put, put a couple, uh, put a couple of guys in the hospital and, uh, yeah, it was a bad deal. Um, Ended up getting myself into some serious trouble and spent uh, the better part of six months in court for it. And right after it happened, man, I, I came out of it. It was just total revelation to me. I was like, you know what? I really screwed up here. You know, I got, I'm being wrong. This is going to cost me big. I don't know. What, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And uh, I, I went to, the, I called the VA and told them, you know, kind of what was going on. And, you know, I, mean, I already had some uh, disability claims from the physical stuff, but never even gave a thought to the mental stuff. Uh, about getting right, you know, getting right up here. Um, so they, they were completely useless to me. So I, I found a doctor I trusted and uh, spent some time with them. And over the course of about six months, I realized that, you know, that emotional range I was living in was, was very short. I was just so disconnected, not really, uh, not really evaluating life through a very clear lens. So um, that, that was huge. I mean, that was groundbreaking because developing was everything. It literally, like, it, it helped me make better hires, being empathetic, listening to someone, you know, not listening to respond, but listening to understand. Um, that, that was huge, groundbreaking. Uh, I mean, it really, really has been. Sorry. So, Jeremy, you know, those of us who really care, we, we, we look at this stuff and we read about it and we see it in the media. And, you know, and we all have friends that have have served which is a blessing is there a piece of advice that i i know you got a great supportive family you know starting oh, yeah. with your bride and and uh, your kids but is there a piece of advice that you could pass along i mean as a veteran um who was not only served proudly but injured severely um you're very very successful at what you're doing but is there a piece of advice you pass along yeah, I mean, to anyone who's, uh, I mean, whether it's even outside of the military, trauma in any way, shape, or form should never be ignored. Um, and, if, and if you find yourself the central figure in any type, of, uh, any type of issues on a routine basis, you know, whether it's getting into bar fights or people telling you you're drinking too much or whatever it is, listen, 
absolutely listen. You know, listen to what people are telling you about you and don't take it as an insult. You know, take it as an opportunity and, and always you know, just be very honest with yourself because that's the one thing that I've learned is I, I've, I went through life for a long time seeking the confidence of others, others to have confidence in me. I really did. Uh, what I didn't do was uh, was really work on my own self-confidence. Like, you know, I was always, I felt like I was always covering something and cutting corners. Like, I know this is an issue, but I'm, I'm going to work my way around it. I'm going to power through because I'm a badass and never, ever sit down and address it. You know, if having trouble sleeping or you're dealing with anxieties and, you know, things like that, and you're, you're damaging relationships. That's, that is a, an amazing story. And I, I've, uh, I didn't mention this earlier, but I had worked in mental health for a, a number of years. And I, I often worked with people that had, you know, dissociative uh, thought disorders or, or who had a, a trauma-based um, uh, thinking disorder of some sort. And so rarely does it work out well. You know what I mean? But it did, it did for you. You were, you were the one who, who made it. And that's, that's so remarkable because, remarkable because often the skills you need to realize you have a problem, you don't have those skills and that's the source of the problem. It's like a, a double thing. And my, my shtick on this show is I always ask someone when they say they have a fork in the road, I ask, did you make that decision based on your head uh, or on your heart? You know, did you see it as an intellectual proposition or did you see it as kind of an emotional one? And normally I know what the person's going to say, you know, just based on their story, I can see where it's going. But I, I have no idea what you're going to answer. You know, when you came to that moment, whether it was like midway through the court process or, or at some point, how, how did you make that decision to reach out and get that help? Did you take like an intellectual inventory and do the math in your head and say, this is my best shot? Or did it just come from your gut? And you had this feeling like, I got to know, uh, I got to know who I was meant to be. You know what I mean? Like I got to know the face I had before I was born. You know, I, I think, uh, I guess I never took any of those things seriously because I was never really faced with any major consequences outside of, um, you know, the potential of my own death or something like that, you know, but I never looked at, Hey, you, you, I mean, whether, whether they did something in my mind to have deserved it or not, I hurt somebody and I could, that was 100% avoidable. And oh. that state of mind that I was in, I didn't see it that way. I'm like, no, no, they said these things and they got in my face. So now they need to get punched. Right. So that's not number one. It's, it's not true. It's not normal. I saw how upset my wife was and I saw that, you know, the impact that it was about to have on my career. And it, it was, it was life changing. It really was in that moment. I that kind of like, kind of like you said that the mental inventory, you know, I, I weighed the, the enormous cost that I was about to face. Um, whether it was going to be, you know, a, a tremendous amount of jail time or uh, whether it was, you know, paying. And I, and I did, I paid for surgeries and time off work and all this restitution. I spent a month in jail. Um, and then I actually had to give up my mortgage license for a year while I was on, I was on a deferred sentence for a felony assault, which no one told me that was going to be the outcome either. The attorneys didn't know. No one knew. The state told me. And the, the lady at the state enforcement agency, she was really kind. You know, she's like, look, I'm sure that no one told you this, but this is the, this is the, uh, this is the true outcome of what's going on here. You, while you're on a deferred sentence for a felony, whether it's assault or anything else, you cannot hold a mortgage license. Hmm. So I had to exit my, what had been my career as a producer, a loan officer, that consultative, get in front of people and do a good job for them person. Um, and I couldn't do that anymore. 
uh, at least for a whole year, I, I had to stop. Uh, so I, I finished that deferred sentence in the, inter- in the interim, I, uh, I went out and focused on the sales side of things and while I was also focusing on my mental health and kind of learning my story. And it, it went from my, my story being something that I, I never wanted to tell and I didn't think it, it, had, it was of consequence at all. Say like, don't tell this story because you know it's gonna make people think that there's some weakness in it. And uh, one thing I've learned is that there's tremendous power in your story if, if you took it and turned it into something good then it's powerful and because it can teach people anything that can teach people, you know, learn from others mistakes, right? Don't do it yourself. Um, you know, that I made some massive, massive mistakes. And I'd say the main one was ignoring my mental health and not recognizing it as a problem and thinking that all that dumb shit I was doing was cute. It wasn't cute, mm-hmm. cute at all. Um, and it could have been very costly. So uh, one of the corners that I turned during that was actually kind of by accident was I, I had to hire somebody, um, so I was still managing. I had to hire somebody, a licensed loan officer, to go out and do loans for me. Uh, so I could go out and get them, but I couldn't talk to the clients, and I couldn't do any of the, you know, any of the licensed activities. So all I could do was be a raw, uh, you know, frontman salesperson. Couldn't talk numbers with anybody. Couldn't talk products. Um, I had to let go of major pieces of this business. I had a hard time as a loan officer letting go to the next step in the phase, you know, the next phase in the business, which was the processing part where someone verifies employment and all that. I had a hard time letting go before. So now having to let go of all of it and trust my client in the hands of somebody else. So I had to take somebody and teach them and train them to do it the way that I would, and then let that person go do those things and trust them to do it. And that, that's been kind of the cornerstone of how we've built our business into, you know, from a business that fed one guy to now a business that feeds, you know, a couple dozen people mm-hmm. out there. You know who, who work with us and do it. You know, pretty uh, pretty tremendous amount of business for the number of people we have. It's it's kind of impressive. Um, you know, by by my own standard, um, I if I could hire somebody that, that did the business that we're doing, you know, even just in this local market, I'd be I'd be so impressed with that person. And I completely stumbled upon it by by accident and dumb luck. And honestly, if if uh, if those things hadn't happened, I'd probably still be happy just out writing loans. And, doing as many loans as I could, you know, by, by myself and uh, my wife processing them and just move right along. You know, we're uh, kind of accidentally created a team. <laughs> nah, that's that's an amazing story, which people can really learn uh, a lot from. And I think that if they have the opportunity after hearing what you just said, reach out to Jeremy through social media, or reach out to us because we'd love to, um, you know, introduce you to how he's doing what he's doing. Jeremy, if you had to go back to 18 year old Jeremy and, and, tell yourself or teach yourself one thing, what would that be? Oh man. <laughs> you know, I think if I could have, wow, double-edged sword. If I, if I could go back and, and teach myself to be a little more empathetic, I think I would have, uh, I think I would have skipped over a whole lot of mistakes. You know, I just, um, I would have damaged, uh, I wouldn't have damaged as many relationships as I had, I think. Um, because your relationships are what make or break you in, in this world, not just in business, but in general. I mean, you know, be that, be the friend that you'd like people to have. I, I didn't see that. I mean, I, I wasn't out using people or anything. I've always been, you know, pretty much a person who could be counted on. If, you, if I say I'm going to do it, I, do. I even write, <laughs> give these little promise cards. If I, if I make a promise to you, cause my memory is not awesome to brain injury. So I'll write it down and I'll give it to you. And I'll say, don't be afraid to remind me. And when I do it, bring it, you know, give it back to me, give me back my, you know, my promise card. Cause I, um, so I think if I could have, uh, if I could have valued relationships the way that I do now back then, I think that I'd be way better off. Um, just, I mean, whether I got hurt in the military and moved on, if I could have learned those things much earlier in life, I'd be way better off. 
I love that promise card thing. Um, why we're, we're we're talking about that? What would you say your nat, your your superpower is today from all of these life lessons? Um, I you know what my, it's it's going to be my endurance. Um, you know, I had to learn to walk and talk again. So mm-hmm. everything else is pretty fucking easy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if if I have to, you know, if I have to sit down and if I have to work for 24 hours straight to get through the workload, it's fine. You know, when, it, when everything's blowing up, I saw this funny meme the other day where there's, there's like a building on fire and everything's going haywire and there's this kid on a swing set. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm definitely the kid on the swing set. Um, recognizing the difference between empathy and sympathy. You know, I, I can, I can empathize with you, but I'm not going to get down in the weeds with you. You know, I, I, uh, I want to, I, I want to be there for you, but I'm not going to, not going to get down in the fields and, and feel bad with you. I want to help you, but I can't help you by being there with you. Um, you know, I, I don't panic. It's absolutely zero panic. That's my superpower. Like no matter what happens, I'm always calm. I'm always in this mood right here. Um, you know, and, and that it, it's funny. I don't have that narrow emotional range anymore. Like I definitely feel sadness and I definitely feel really high highs, but the, the stability um, of, I think the stability of my mood and my ability to never freak out, never panic, um, that, that is my superpower. And, and I can go for as long as I need to. I swear to God, you will not outwork me. How much, um, Jeremy, and this, and this is great, because we're going to have a lot of veterans listen to this and, and, and active military and, and folks that, that maybe uh, only respect, you know, that uh, of those, like myself, I, I didn't serve. But how much did uh, love come into part of where you are today? You know, as being successful, you get a. I happen to know your your uh, support cast, or at least some of them. How much? How much of that is uh, part of part of your recipe? Well, it's it's huge. I mean, wanting to wanting to be a person that those people can be proud of. I mean, if you don't if you don't love them, you're not going to feel that. You know, if you I mean that's. That's huge. I mean, my, my wife, um, I can't imagine. I mean, I think that I'm a stable personality. There is probably no more um, reliable human being on the planet than my wife. And, and she loves in a way that's just amazing. And she amazes me constantly. So, you know, to, to make sure that I'm doing things that's gonna, that are going to make her proud and to do things that are going to bring the fulfillment to, to our life together, you know, so I, I don't do anything where she's she's out here miles and miles ahead of me as a human being and I'm out there lagging behind and she's waiting for me. Um, you know, that's, that's huge. I mean, that's, that's my why. I mean, as, as often, I think people overuse that, you know, that this is my why speak from your why. Um, I, I think if you haven't heard of Simon Simonek by now, you know, you've been living under a rock and he does a really good job of, uh, of approaching why you should communicate from your why, but truly, 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 if you're a good, decent human being and you have a support cast of people who love you, you should be doing your damnedest for them. And for me, that means everything. I mean, if, if I'm, uh, if they're, if I'm not giving them what they need, um, I, I get pretty down on myself. I mean, that's, that's the one thing that will cause me to, to, uh, to get depressed or to get upset and get upset with myself is if I feel like I've, I've let them down. So I, I won't do it. Gotta love you, brother. We, we too, speak with a lot of entrepreneurs um, and we kind of split them into two different categories and I'd love to hear where your thought process is on this. Do you feel that you're an entrepreneur and because you were talking about some other businesses you're thinking about, not saying we're, you know, to go in that category, but do you sure. feel that you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur in transition? Um, 
I'd say I'm definitely in transition because I, I mean, to me, the, the last eight to 10 years that I've really approached my business as a business doesn't seem like a whole lot of time. And at first it was more about, you know, first it was being a good loan officer, then it was being a good sales manager. And then I became a partner and it was, you know, being reliable with my partner. And now I don't have a business partner. Now it's, it's, uh, it's just me. So now I look at my business as, you know, how am I going to grow this? And I, and I have all these goals for the people who work for me. And those are relatively new. So, um, so helping those folks reach their goals and the goals that I have for them, you know, I may have this, uh, crazy concept that I want everybody who works for me to make a six figure income, no matter what it is that they do for a living. And so building, so, so trying to conceptualize my business around that, um, has definitely transitioned me to more of an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit and, uh, and, you know, reading more and educating myself more. I'm starting to learn that maybe, maybe there's more entrepreneurship to what I'm doing than what I thought. Uh, I'm not following anyone else's model anymore. So that's, I think that's why, uh, transitioning to being an entrepreneur, but I, I wouldn't say I am yet. I'm working on it. I'm entrepreneur in training. I always, uh, I always love doing these because I'm always uh, inspired and, and surprised by what I hear. But your stories, it really resonates with me. Uh, there, there's a lot to it. And what I admire most about what you've said is obviously you have a lot of you know, physical strength and, and now emotional strength. But you, it seems like you had such an intellectual clarity when you were making those decisions. And um, I'm a big believer in mindfulness and being mindful and intentional in my actions. And it seems like you're speaking that language. You know, there's a lot of what you say that just resonates uh, to me. It's it's a remarkable story and it's a a really inspirational one. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And this is something, man, like people don't do anymore. I mean, look at the, you know, my, my phone just went off with some calendar reminders and it popped up my, you know, we're all so distracted. Um, and that's kind of a recent development in my life. The last two years, I had a good friend of mine. She's a real estate agent here in town. And we're, we're meeting together and, and um, my phone kept going off. So I'm looking at, oh, excuse me, oh, excuse me, excuse me. And, and she said, look, we can reschedule for when you have time for me. And uh, I'm like, what do you mean? And so, so she started preaching to me about mindfulness and about how that, you know, how that affects the meeting that you're in right now. Right. So it's, yeah. So uh, I, I've really been focusing on that being present in the moment. And if you're going to be there, you might as well be of value to people and you can't be of value to people by bullshitting them. So if I'm going to sit here with you and we're going to spend, you know, 30 to 45 minutes together. Um, I'm going to make sure that, you, that you're going to come out of this knowing something about me that you didn't know before. And it should be of value to you some, in some way, even, even it's going to turn some people off, right? I mean, it's, this guy's a nutcase. He beat some dudes up. Or fell out of a helicopter at one point. And now he's, you know, half brain dead. I'm not. Um, but I've, I've learned so much from it in such a short time. I feel like the last, you know, 10 years of my life, I've learned, I've learned more in the last 10 years than I did the previous, you know, 33 for sure. Um, and, and so being a good steward of that right now means sharing it and it means being grateful for it and, and, uh, and, and doing something about it when you have the opportunity to. Well, I've, I've learned quite a bit, and I, I really appreciate you sharing the story. Um, and I'll turn it over to, to Brent and, and Brandon to kind of close us on out. Any closing thoughts, gentlemen? Yeah, I, I do. Um, how important is kindness? Uh, kindness? You know, <laughs> I think strong kindness is, is important, consistent kindness. You know, I mean, 
um, it's, it's, it's human decency embodied really. I mean, you know, everyone has value, whether, whether you have a, a religious basis for that thought, or you just have that, you know, that basic humanist concept that everyone has value and that every life has a story. Um, again, I, I haven't always been the kindest human being. I'll be the first to admit that. Um, I have learned to, uh, through this process of gaining empathy that you don't, you never know why someone is in the position they are or why they respond to you the way they do. And so if you take a moment to imagine that there's a story behind it, um, man, you can get past, it's amazing how quickly you can get past that veil, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the wall somebody puts up or it's, you know, the, the smell of a homeless guy on the street or what he's wearing or what have you. If you just take a second to recognize that there's, there's a story behind it, there could be a, a, a mental health aspect to it or, or an abuse or a trauma or something. And you just take a minute to recognize their humanity and be kind. Um, it, it, you don't have to give them money, but if you recognize their humanity and that's everybody, I mean, um, you know, subordinates in, in your work. You know, I always tell people, don't say you work for me. We work together to work with me. Um, there's a kindness in that, you know, people recognize that, uh, you know, when you're saying you work with me, you're not putting me below you right together in this. We're leading from the front. We're, you know, we're, we're working together. I'm not, I'm not up with even at the front of the wagon. I'm saying, get next to me. Let's pull this some bitch, you know, let's go. So, I mean, that, there's kindness in it and kindness can manifest itself in many, many ways. But I think recognizing people all on one plane of existence, you know, just, we're not above one another, whether it's financially or, you know, politically or any way, shape or form, everybody has a reason for who they are and where they are. If you recognize that there's so much kindness in that and it's strength in it. Yeah. Jeremy, you've got a, a beautiful story that I, I, I knew a little, but I didn't know as much. And especially the last seven years, it looks like you have completely, found who you were meant to be and now you're able to share your story with other people i can tell you um with some of the things that i'm even going through right now like i learned some things in here and i'm looking forward to re-listening to this um and i might ask you a couple questions eventually off air i already have one uh one in particular that uh when when we get done with this so i genuinely appreciate the time and you know, whoever out there is listening, please reach out to Jeremy, ask him a question, reach out to Brent Joseph and I, we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to, you know, answer any of those entrepreneurial questions or just something about the show and what we're doing. So, uh, Jeremy, thank you everyone. Find him on Facebook and, uh, we appreciate your time. I am Brandon Straza, also known as the real naked agent along with Dr. Joseph K and Brent Duham. And we've got Jeremy Stump, uh, with Cardinal Financial. Hey, have an awesome rest of the week and we'll see you on the airwaves. You've been listening to Breaking Business Barriers. For more information or if you have a compelling story to tell, find us on Facebook at Open Media Source. 